0: Welcome to Unleashing Your Great Work, a podcast about doing the work that matters the most to you. I'm your host, Dr. Amanda Kroll, a cognitive psychologist, speaker, coach, and the creator of the Aligned Time Journals. Every week on this podcast, we are asking the big questions. What is great work and why does it matter so much to us? What does it take to do more of your great work without sacrificing everything else and how does the world change when more people are doing more of the work that matters the most to them whether your great work is building your own small business or managing a remote team at a multinational company you'll find insight and answers here Welcome everybody to Unleashing Your Great Work. Today, I could not be more excited to welcome Darcy Webb to the podcast. She is an award-winning voice and speech teacher and performance consultant, and she's been helping actors and performers, corporate executives, authors, and speakers to use their voice to connect with audiences around the world with power, eloquence, and heart. Welcome to the podcast, Darcy.
1: Oh, thank you. I am so glad you asked me to do this, Amanda. I'm really happy to talk.
0: Yay. I'm glad you've agreed to do this. So we are we're in good company. So Darcy, we start every podcast with the same question. Tell us a little bit about your great work.
1: Well, it's so funny when you say that to me because I never think of my work as great work. Hmm until I listened to the first episode of your podcast. And then I kind of shifted my thinking a little bit. Really? I, yes. I thought my work was my work. It was what brought me joy. Mm. It brought me great joy to be able to teach. And I, ne- I just never thought it was great until... <laughs>
0: Had my little mind shift. Well, Darcy and I met at a program, a public speaking program, and she was my voice coach while we were there. I did even an individual session with her. I was so impressed with her help. She, and for my TED talk, actually, as I was preparing to do that, she helped me get my vocal presence in place. And so I know for sure that the work that you do is great work, in part because. I know that it made my work so much greater. But tell us what that great work is now that we both agree. Yes. With great. I teach people to
1: own who they are through mm. their voice. I teach people to tell their truth, their whole truth, their with their authentic sound. So that's really what I work on with people almost all the time. When I first started teaching, I was teaching college sophomores, acting majors and musical theater majors, and I was teaching them using the International Phonetic Alphabet. What which is that? Is, well, it's a, it's, a, it's a series of symbols. Sometimes they look like letters. Sometimes they just look like squiggles, but they're like the music notes to speech. So there's a, a sound attached to every symbol. So there's mm-hmm. a Symbol for ah, and there's a symbol for oh, and there's a symbol for t, and all of the other sounds that we make. And so, what they had to learn to do was eventually, once they learned them, those music notes of speech, they had to learn to put them together. They had to mm-hmm. learn how to transcribe what it was they were saying, whether it was a monologue or a practice sentence. And so it seemed like it was kind of mechanical and it seemed like it was a pretty academic. But in the end, it was always about discovering that they had this true voice inside them. And it was just from being able to make music with their vowels and their consonant sounds.
0: What is it about gaining full access to your voice that seems to transform people?
1: I think it's that for so many people, they have tamped down their voices because Mm -hmm. they thought that they sounded bad, or they, you know, if you grew up like I did, Mm -hmm. you weren't allowed to talk. You know, get out of the way. You're standing in front of the TV. You're too melodramatic. Uh, I don't want to hear from you. Why are you crying?
0: So (laughs) I feel like that was like playback of my.
1: childhood. <laughs> right. right. I'm sure they did the best they could do. We all
0: do. Yes. But
1: it really took a, a, a few years of therapy mm-hmm. and voice and speech work, not only learning it, but teaching it. You know, we mm. teach what we have to learn so often. So true. I really discovered my true voice by teaching. Hmm. That when, when I started working on my vowels and consonants with my students, I, I would began to take the cork out of my vocal passageway and started expressing my true sound, that I wasn't trying to sound like somebody else. Hmm. And when I wasn't trying to sound like somebody else, then I could truly be who I was. Then I had more confidence in front of my students. And then when I could teach other people how to do that, they began to have more confidence when they spoke. They began to have more confidence standing up to their father or their mother or in front of that boardroom.
0: You said that we teach what we need to learn. Did you struggle to vocalize your youth? (laughs) No.
1: I was cast in a very prestigious theater company alternative theater company in Pittsburgh, many years ago, in my mid 20s, in a new work. And it was called a lyrical opera made by two, which was written by Gertrude Stein. Ooh. And I played Gertrude Stein. I had my wife with me, Alice B. Toklas. It was beautiful music. There were, you know, there was spoken word, there was singing. It was great. I had the best I got a lot of feedback from my director and my music director. There were a lot of important people in the audience on opening night. And after the show was over, one of the people that I wanted to impress came up to me and said, Darcy, you were wonderful. Hmm. If only I could have heard. Yeah. That was just like a kick in the gut. Yeah. So it isn't like I started uh, you know I started working on my voice and speech right away but I was just I was so confused I was stunned it took me a while mm. to figure out what that was all about it wasn't just being vocally heard it was being it was being able to connect with the audience in a truly authentic way mm. and if I had been able to truly unleash the true sound that was in me, instead of trying to sound right, instead of trying to sound pretty, instead of worrying about doing the right thing, Mm -hmm. everyone would have heard me.
0: Interesting. So I'm not sure that this will work on a podcast, but I'm wondering if it will. Is there a way that we can feel the difference between sort of like a suppressed voice and one that's kind of unleashed like is there a way that we can do an example of this
1: i can i can try Mm -hmm. a lot of times what happens when we are tamping down our sound is we stop breathing Well, we don't really stop breathing because you know we're alive we're breathing we're getting some oxygen in there Mm -hmm. but we will hold our breath And we will hold it in the upper lobes of our lungs. So you hear what I'm sounding like right now. It sounds a little tense. And I'm actually speaking from my throat because I'm holding my breath. Hmm. But if I release my belly, if I release that area in my, you know, my solar plexus, which that area ribs, that's where a lot of us, that's where a lot of people carry their tension. If I can release that. Then the air flows more freely, so you hear a difference between yeah. my talking now mm-hmm. and I can my talking now. This is when I'm holding my breath, mm-hmm. and I've actually done it on stage before. Where I and I have taken nanosecond, where I could I could just feel the the tension building and building, and I just. Uh, I couldn't get my breath anymore mm. because I was only breathing using the upper lobes of my lungs. As soon as I released that area, it just took a second. No one saw me. No one knew. Released that and suddenly the air was flowing again and my sound, my mm. words were riding on that voice, just like a magic carpet.
0: <laughs> oh, magic carpet. <laughs> I love it. That's so interesting. And when you say that, I think like, I've always had a very loud voice and it's i think it might be a deeper voice than maybe some people have i'm not sure like i've always been an alto instead of a soprano and you know it was always surprising to me when people had really soft voices because i think i just always had the ability to be like very very loud yeah. <laughs> but i think part of it is and when you were mentioning the sort of like everybody carrying their tension in their lower abdomen to a certain extent, I think part of that might just be about all of our fears about not being thin enough. Like we're trying to hold all of that in. Is that true, or am I making that up?
1: You—that uh, is true for some people. Some people actually cannot release that part of their body because they're so concerned about being fat. Hmm. And and I have I've actually stood in a private studio with somebody and worked with that person to get them to release that that bit of flesh. Hmm. because they thought it was, you know, making them look as thin as possible. And really, I mean, if we were on camera, I could show you, it doesn't make the least bit of difference. Really? <laughs> yes, I <laughs> show my like students it all the time. <laughs> it, I know, it, it really doesn't. And, and dancers have a tendency to really hold there. I have to remind dancers mm. to let that go. It is also an emotional thing. And I was years ago, a few years ago, I was taking a workshop up in New York City with the great, scary, the great, the scary, Patsy Rodenberg.
0: (laughs) The great, the scary. The great, (laughs) the scary. Somebody calls me the great, the scary.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And there were 30 people and she's in the big studio and she was taking us through this exercise about identifying in the body where our tension was. Now, mind you, i had been working on this stuff for years and years and years. Mm-hmm. Suddenly, I felt the area within my solar plexus release like two steel doors opening. <clears throat> and I fell to my knees and burst into tears. And she spun around and looked at me and said, what is it? And I said, I don't know. I just all of a sudden remembered All of my family saying, get out of the way, shut up, stop being melodramatic. And she pointed her scary finger at me and she said, they were afraid of your power. And I think what happens is when we tamp down our voice, whether we are constricting our throat or holding tension in our solar plexus, sometimes we hold tension in our rear ends. Mm we pull up on our rear ends. It's, it is about controlling ourselves. Mm. It is about being appropriate.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: It is about not offending people.
0: Hey, if you're enjoying this podcast, you've got to check out The Great Work Community. The Great Work Community is where change-making entrepreneurs make drama-free progress together come on over for a co-working, accountability, coaching, and just-in-time courses. Check out the Great Work community. The link is in the show notes. Fascinating. So now it's interesting because you think like, oh, I'm going to release my voice. I'm going to like do some mechanical things and like make my chest a little less tense and then I'm going to be able to project and everything's going to be fine. And then, then you're like, Oh God, I'm childhood trauma and I'm yeah. fat and they're <laughs> yes. afraid of my power. Like what a, what an unexpectedly powerful thing you do. Yeah. Uh, yes. And, and
1: really I'm, I'm working largely on mechanics. Mm-hmm. I remember I was standing by one young woman in a studio and she was doing her monologue and I was side coaching her. Which means I stand at her side and I talk quietly in her ear. And I said to her, Open your mouth. And she opened her mouth a little bit more as she was speaking. And I said, Open it more. And she opened it a little more. And then she stopped. And then she began to cry. Mm. And I said, Keep talking. And she cried and she talked. I said, Keep opening your mouth. And she cried and she talked and she kept (gasps) opening her mouth. We don't open our mouths to speak,
2: Mm.
1: we will open our mouths a little bit to speak and we just use maybe part of our lips but we keep our jaws closed uh, hmm. fairly tight. But if fascinating. You, yeah, but if you open your mouth more sound comes out. Oh. More feeling comes out. <laughs> right. Tell us what gurning is. Gurning is when you stretch your face into really I wish I could show you really <laughs> chest faces. So think Shrek, think <laughs> ogre and you're really pulling ugly faces, faces that you would never make in public. And what you're doing, raising your eyebrows really high and scrunching them down really low. And what you're doing is you're activating all of those muscles in the face. Mm -hmm. We call it gurning because it's actually called gurning in rural England. And and if you Google burn, (laughs) G-U-R-N, Google You will get lots of pictures of people who look really crazy, people who are folding their upper lip their nose or Mm. and they have these contests in rural England
0: and they win prizes
1: (laughs) yeah
0: well I'm wondering so in these rooms full of people you said these are not faces you would make in public and yet there we were in public in these rooms full of like 25 people making faces at each other with you and you of course just at the front making them so bigger and bigger so we would just get more into it yeah and I was always fascinated to find how full of excited energy. Those rooms were after the fact. And some of it I think is because we were making silly faces, but I also wonder how much of it was what you were describing. It's just, we're releasing all this tension and suddenly realizing, like just releasing all this energy.
1: And allowed to be free and allowed to play. Mm -hmm. You know, we aren't really allowed to play that often. And I I remember when I first started coaching at HPS and I said to Michael Port, who is one of the founders, mm. I said, well, uh, gosh, I'm really after my first lesson, I hope I wasn't too inappropriate. And he said, let your freak flag fly. <laughs> and so I said, thank you. And so from then on, I did. couple of years later, I walked into a corporate boardroom. They were a bunch of scientists and I was trying to explain to them how releasing the anal sphincter would make people feel more comfortable when they (laughs) walked into a presentation. And then I proceeded to show him the Zuo Shaw ladder, which you may remember from those classes, Uh quite physical and quite vocal and makes everybody feel very silly and very happy. Yeah. And by the end of that, I'm really not sure whether they were entranced or whether they were stunned, but I I didn't care mm. because mm. that was my gift. Yeah. Yes. And I, I think we are all so eager to not try and squish ourselves into a round hole if we're square or mm. a square hole if we're round.
0: Yeah. Unleashing Your Great Work is sponsored by the Aligned Time Journal. As you think about great work, you might think, okay, but how? How do I figure out what my great work is? How do I make progress on it? How do I overcome procrastination, burnout, and perfectionism? What I like to call the three horsemen of the apocalypse. My answer to that question is, use the Aligned Time Journal. It's a whole person time management system that will keep you moving forward on your great work without ever feeling overwhelmed. Click the link in the show notes to check it out. Give it a try and get busy unleashing your great work out into the world. Well, the freedom, I think we, we are both very eager to squish ourselves into that square hole if we're round so that we can finally be deemed good enough. and like acceptable, you know, so we can exist with some sense of ease. And the real real message I feel like you're saying is that the real sense of ease comes from going in the other direction. Just be who you are.
1: Be who you are. Be who you are. And so often when we uncork that voice Mm -hmm. inside of us, we begin to discover who we really are. Here I am. Here I, here I
0: am. <laughs> I love it. Well, you're great at helping people. I think, obviously, you know this, that you're great at helping people figure out their voice. But I wonder what challenges have you experienced as you've been in pursuit of your great work?
1: Oh, well, I'm sure that many people have experienced what I I have and continue to struggle struggle with from time to time, which is, am I good enough? Am mm. I an imposter at this? Mm. What makes me think that I can can do this? Mm. I think to to truly discover my value, that's, that's the quest that I have been on for the last five years. Mm. You know, coming from the theater, mm-hmm. anytime anybody offers you a gig whether it's, you know, $500 a week or a buck 280, we will take it. (laughs) We have always been that way. That's what actors do. Mm -hmm. And recently an actor approached me and we we had a a consult call and I explained to her how I could help her. And she asked me my rate Mm -hmm. and she was quite surprised by it. And she said, you know what? She said, I think we all should be asking for what we are worth, mm-hmm. and I don't think actors do that enough," she said. "And someday I'm going to do what you're doing, and so I th- I think that's a that's been a big discovery coming from the theater for mm-hmm. me because I would do anything, mm-hmm. teach I would I would accept anything I would teach for free, and I actually I still do from time to time, mm-hmm. but but I always did it because I thought. Oh, I'm, I, this is, you know, I'm so fortunate to be able to do this. I'll take it, whatever you offer me. Mm. People don't pay artists for what they, they sh- what they should pay them. They don't pay them what they're worth.
0: Mm-hmm. I think art is free and it's not. Yeah. So how did you overcome that? What do you feel like, what kind of re- realizations have? Cause I feel like you are describing a very common, like you said, a very common, not just in theater. I come from academia where we were also convinced that we must do everything for free.
2: Yeah. We
0: should take this adjunct job for 300 or $3,000 for 4 months of work. <laughs> you know, and we're like, well, I'm just lucky to have a job. It's like, what? This is craziness. So I feel like it's kind of everywhere. It's sort of a power play really in those really hierarchical systems. So I feel like a lot of people struggle with this. So what how did you overcome it or how are you overcoming?
1: It? I hired a business coach. Oh yeah. <laughs> I did. More about that. I mean it was it was a a year ago. Well, it was during the pandemic and I thought I don't know how to do this. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how to raise my rates and I don't I don't think I'm charging enough, but I don't know how to charge and I don't know how to run a business and I need to take this more seriously. People are asking me for my help. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how to organize my time. Mm-hmm. I don't know how to organize my finances, I need a coach, and so a year and three months ago, I hired a business coach, yes. and it was great, and she took me from zero to sixty in about three months yeah, so i it was it was great it was really great and then I began to discover
0: mm-hmm. what what realiza- if you can go into it and sort of remember what realizations did you have about your worth or about you know one might be that wow artists really are not we really aren't paid what we're worth that would be a realization but were there others where uh you realized something that you know maybe everybody else already knew right like you are a rock star but you had to really realize it for yourself what occurred to you as you were sort of getting over this scarcity mindset that plagues so many of us
1: I think I really, uh, with the help of a coach, I started hearing it when Mm. I got feedback. I always deflected Mm -hmm. the positive feedback. I didn't want to hear the negative feedback either.
2: Right.
1: (laughs) Right. But I I thought, uh, no, that's not true. When anybody said to me, you've really helped me when i can stand in front of somebody that i'm coaching and see a difference then then i know that when i see a difference i know when i began working with adults adults work much faster than college students uh-huh. college students they got they've got other classes they've got rehearsals they've got they also are just a little younger mm-hmm. so i don't get feedback from them until years later but like right away, I can see a change in an in an adult working with an adult. And then I know ah, I'm making a difference. And when that change sticks, mm-hmm. I've learned how to uh, teach them to practice so that they can sustain that change. Because I have a couple of little tricks in my pocket. You know, I say to people, okay, stick two fingers in your mouth and now speak. Mm -hmm. You take your fingers out and automatically you're speaking better. Mm -hmm. But if you don't know how to practice to do that, Mm -hmm. the change isn't going to last.
0: Yeah. Well, uh, peculiarly brilliant Italian William and I spend a lot of time with my (laughs) my mouth saying that, especially before I'm going to do a solo podcast. It's a
1: brilliant, it's a brilliant tongue
0: twister. It is. It is. But I like it. It makes me happy. It makes me sort of imagine him being peculiarly brilliant. In my mind, he lives in like Victorian England. Like we've had, we have a long relationship now. Peculiarly brilliant Italian William. But it's interesting. Like, I feel like there has been a shift in the world where, I mean, previously, I think you may have felt like the only people to work with that really need full access to their voice are actors and singers. and, And now I feel like, maybe even COVID has made it even more intensely true that now we all need to have greater access to our voice.
1: Well, I think so because a lot of people are on zoom now, but I think also I have realized that it is from spending the last five years working with adults mm-hmm. and not just public speakers, right? but doctors learning how to have a better bedside manner or Therapists learning how to speak with intention or Mm. you know, people people who who simply need are looking for greater self-confidence. Not like I go in advertising that I teach self-confidence. That's just sort of the byproduct.
0: (laughs) (laughs) No, yeah, but I think it could be the product too.
1: You know, I had a student years ago, many years ago, and it was clear he had some attention issues and he Mm -hmm. would sit in my class and I could see him itching to get out of that seat and go do the next thing. He was a good student, but I just never felt like he was really quite there. He wrote to me 15 years later and he said, I'm a nurse in Denver, Colorado. And I want you to know that the work that you taught me in sophomore speech class is work I use every single
0: day. Okay. Give me an example. Tell me about this nurse. What? Why does voice work help a nurse do their job better? I think
1: it teaches people to speak with intention and specificity. Mm-hmm. It teaches people to pay attention to what's coming out of their mouths all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, so many people, when they talk, it's like throwing spaghetti against the wall. They're going to talk and talk and talk and talk, and talk until something sticks, uh-huh. right? Or until something feels right or sounds right. But when we learn the art of speaking, we have created an awareness about this instrument and how it serves how we communicate. Mm-hmm.
0: So let's tell a story. He's a nurse, and he's going to have to walk into somebody's office and say, "I'm here to take your blood." <laughs> that's apparently sounded like a vampire, right? So that's not how you <laughs> say it. The di- so give me just help me understand the difference it makes in that moment. Okay,
1: I'm going to look you in the eye. Mm-hmm. I can make contact with you. Mm-hmm. I'm going to greet you with. A warm sound? Mm. I'm going to have an intention before I walk in that room that I'm going to put you at ease.
0: Okay. So that you literally think, so this is part of it, you think before you enter an interaction, yeah, the impact you're hoping to have.
1: Yep. So it's not just about how you pronounce the word blood, it's about the impact that you are going to have. How am I going to communicate to this person? And make them feel whatever it is, or make them hear whatever it is. I want them to hear. Hmm. Allow them to hear it and allow them to feel it. Mm-hmm. So we start. It's like we say to actors: your performance starts before you walk on stage, mm-hmm. not after you start speaking. Because then you're, you know, you're groping for. Words and how you want to say it. And, oh, that probably didn't say that right. And mm. where's my needle? And right,
0: yeah,
1: <laughs> we're always performing, uh-huh. we're
0: always getting ready to perform. That doesn't mean it's inauthentic. It just uh-huh. means we're ready, we're ready. So tell me what it means to perform if it doesn't mean to put on a show.
1: It means to be present, mm-hmm. it means to be ready. So before I came. On with you to meet Mm -hmm. you. Mm -hmm. I was here five minutes early and I am attending to Amanda. Mm. I'm attending to what her podcast is all about. And I am attending to who's going to listen and who will benefit. So I have intention to communicate. Instead of, oh, she'll ask me some questions and I'll kind of ad lib this and it'll be okay. And right. And sitting back in my seat, right. Mm. I'm here for you. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm fully present.
0: Yeah. Well, and that's interesting. If you think about the nurse, right. The different experiences we've all had in doctor's offices, okay. just as one example, right. Some of the nurses, they come in, they don't look at you. They put, so I'm very afraid of needles. So like I'm hyper focused at all times. When is the needle coming out? (laughs) So, you know, they walk in with their like bag of plastic stuff and they put it on the the table. And I'm like looking at it the whole time, waiting to see if the shoe is about to drop, that they're going to have to take my blood. And sometimes they don't even look at me and they say, they look at me long enough to say, are you ready? Which arm do you want? Versus that my new doctor is so much better She comes in, she like talks to me for a minute. I'm here to take your blood. Is this you, right? It's like, it's so easy to be intentional, but I think, I don't know, do you agree? Most people are just not intentional in the moments of their lives.
1: I would agree. I would absolutely agree. And I think their lives would be richer if they learned how to be intentional and fully present.
0: Hmm. Well, and it's fascinating to think that studying voice would be a way to become more intentional and present. It's because we're
1: paying attention to something specific. What is coming out of our mouths? Right now. Right now. And we can. It's not like we can't do that. We totally can.
0: (laughs) We can. And Darcy can teach us. And I can show you. (laughs) (laughs) So, tell me about the kinds of people that you work with. So, um, is it all doctors and lawyers, or is it people with podcasts? Like, who typically do you work with on this kind of stuff?
1: Well, you know, it's just not typical. I Mm. uh, I have a motivational coach. I have a business coach. I have a couple of podcasters, Mm. a lawyer uh, starting their own business, two actors, and somebody who is just terrified to speak. Hmm. really Hmm. high anxiety. Their anxiety is keeping them from getting a job Mm
2: -hmm. and they're
1: really smart. Now, I might not be able to help them with their anxiety. I'm not a therapist, but I can do all the mechanics of the voice and speech work. And this has happened as well, where we've gotten through with one client, gotten through all the mechanics of the voice and speech work, and this person demanded that they had not learned enough and I hadn't given them what they needed. And I said to them, now you need a therapy uh, is where I can't help you.
0: Uh huh. Right. Right. Because sometimes doing, it's kind of like embodied therapy, right? Like somatic practitioners, you know about this? A I little bit. You do. I feel like it's what you're talking about. Even when we were talking about gurning, where you squidge your face around a bunch, like, that there's a book called, uh, the body keeps the score. I think I know it probably the most, I don't know, mainstream way to think about somatic practitioner and the notion that we're storing, like when you're releasing tension in your face, for example, you may actually be releasing a traumatic memory, which may be why that person was crying when they opened their mouth. And it's interesting to think like how sometimes being more present, like as we put all the pieces of what you do together, right? Like I'm going to make you more present in your life because you're going to pay attention to the words coming out of your mouth. You're going to set intentions. And that like creates this container that most of us are not in. We are not in the container of this present moment. We're like way the fuck back in our childhood or thinking about next Tuesday's doctor's appointment. That's right. Right. So like brings you into this container of the moment and then really starts to release the things that keep you from being fully present in that moment. And I can really see how even that would just be powerful enough for a lot of people who don't have a ton of trauma and could release a lot and just make you feel more loose and free and present. And that's before your voice sounds better on your podcast, (laughs) right? Or you're sitting in the boardroom and you're like, I have something to say. I'm in this moment. I know how to set an intention. And bring my voice to the moment we're in. I guess that's how I speak in boardrooms. Who knows? Um, that's so interesting, Darcy. I can imagine everybody who's listening to this right now is like, "Who's this woman? I must. I must know so, <laughs> <laughs> How can they? How can they get to know you a little bit more? How can they find out about you?
1: Well, I would love to know them. So I'm mm-hmm. going to tell you. Tell me. <laughs> Go to my website, DarcyWeb.com. You can opt in to my mailing list by clicking on that little button, and then you'll get a breath warm up. So you'll get a little taste of what it's like to work with me. And then if you want more, email me at darcy at Mm darcyweb.com. And then we can set up a free consult call and we can have a conversation over Zoom. And that'll be lovely because then you and I can meet one another.
0: No, I love it. Well, I will add my own personal recommendation that you absolutely do those things. I actually have a warm-up that I do with Darcy every morning. She doesn't know. I spend every morning 7 <laughs> minutes of every morning with her. Thank you. Thank you. And woman. peculiarly brilliant Italian William. And I do think it just it makes it just makes a huge difference to feel present in my voice, which I is not something I would normally say, but makes it, and it makes a big difference. If you do have a podcast or you are going to be all day on zoom, or if you're teaching a class, or if you're going to talk, I mean, therapists are a lot of the people that I know from my work are therapists and coaches. And we spend all day on zoom, trying to connect with people. Uh. It's a lot. It's a lot. And having strategies and skills for that would be amazing. Physical, physical strategies, mental Mm -hmm. strategies. Yep. Strategies, strategies, strategies. That's what Darcy has to transform your life. Well, Darcy, I want to thank you so much for coming on this podcast today. I learned a ton. I'm sure everyone else did too. So thank you so much for taking the time.
1: I'm so happy that you invited me and it was such a pleasure. Thank you so much.
0: You're welcome. Thank you for joining me today on the Unleashing Your Great Work podcast. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe and leave a five-star review. And hey, don't forget to check out the Align Time Journal. You need support to get started. Stay at it.